1: Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy.
2: Movie therapy.
1: Movie therapy listeners, it is me once again, Kristen Meinzer, your intrepid host, with another bonus episode just for you. What you're about to hear is an appearance Rafer and I made on the Sporkful podcast with our friend Dan Pashman. For those of you unfamiliar with the Sporkful, it is a great exploration of what it means to be human as explored through food. And uh, full disclosure, I was the show's producer a million years back, back in its early days. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the Sporkful wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And now,
3: on with the show.
1: I'm getting flashbacks to when I used to produce the show, Dan. <laughs> yeah.
3: I hope by flashbacks you mean like pleasant reveries.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like eating a slice of pizza in a hammock. That's how good it is. <laughs>
3: This is The Spork Full. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And it is summertime. Movie theaters are open. We are hitting up those summer blockbusters in those very powerfully air-conditioned theaters. Or sometimes, you know, like my family, spend a day at the beach, come back in the late afternoon flop on the couch, throw on a movie. Today, we are talking food movies. And here to join me are Kristen Minzer and Rafer Guzman. They co-host the podcast, Movie Therapy. Hey, Kristen and Rafer. Hey, Dan.
1: So excited to be here.
3: Hey, Dan. Rafer, you're a film critic for Newsday. Give folks the one-sentence explanation of movie therapy. You're in Kristen's podcast. You write
2: in with a life problem of uh, varying degrees of magnitude. We will offer you uh, a little advice as to unlicensed, not professional therapists. And then (laughs) we will do what we do well, which is prescribe you a movie or a TV show that might uh, help you get through whatever problem it is you're having.
3: All right, well, later in this episode, we're going to do movie therapy, Sporkful style. We'll take a couple calls, and you two will prescribe food-related movies to people. And I'll comment from the peanut gallery. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, now, longtime listeners will recognize your name, Kristen, because you produced the Sporkful extremely well back in the ancient year of 2014.
1: Oh. Gosh, that's a million lifetimes ago. Wow.
3: (laughs) I know, I know. Now you sit atop a media empire. So not only do you host movie therapy, but also along with our friend Jolenta Greenberg, you host the excellent podcast, Buy the Book. Each episode, you pick one self-help book and follow every rule in it and then see what happens. Then the two, you also co-wrote a book based off of Buy the Book, which was called?
1: How to Be Fine, What We Learned from Living by the Rules of 50 Self-Help Books.
3: Of all the different self help books that you have followed working on this show and book, Kristen, what was the best and worst food related self help book?
1: The worst book. I'm sorry to all the Jamie Oliver fans, but Five Ingredients is a terrible, terrible book. Uh, He, he, at one point, his his fried rice that I made, you don't use day old rice, you boil the rice and then you put jelly in it. It was so jelly?
3: Like the thing that you eat with peanut
1: butter? Yes. I know your face is like, what? And then you put, (laughs) and then you squash soft tofu onto it and top it with scallions. It was terrible. Oh, I know your face is saying it all. It was just terrible. (laughs) What about the best? I loved Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints. And uh, it's kind of a farcical book about how to turn the tables in your household so that you don't have to do all the work anymore. Um, if you happen to be a mid-century woman who is expected to do all the housekeeping and all the cooking and all the dishwashing and so on. So one of her tips that I just loved was, Nobody will see how dirty your sink is if you just cover it with dirty dishes. So I <laughs> loved that book. It was full of all sorts of hilarious tips like that. And right. she had a whole section of like, oh, just turn to page 72 to see some of my show-stopping recipes. And then you turn to page 72 and it's just blank. <laughs> 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 I loved that book. If you're interested in cooking, if you're interested in keeping the kitchen clean, but you're actually not,
3: Phyllis Diller's housekeeping hints. Kristen Rafer- Let's get to movies. First off, do you have an all-time favorite food-related scene? It doesn't have to be like the the whole movie was a food movie, just a scene where you feel like food was used especially well. Rafer, you go first.
2: I think one of my favorite food scenes, and this is probably because I am a film critic, but it involves a food critic. It's the scene in um, Ratatouille. You know, the whole film is kind of building up toward this moment when Remy, the rat might be able to get, you know, recognized and make this big achievement by making something that will please uh, France's most fearsome food critic, Anton Ego, played by Peter (laughs) O'Toole, right? Great, great, great voice by Peter O'Toole.
3: Perfect name, perfect casting. Yeah, no, it's great.
1: I don't like food. I love it. If I don't love it, I don't swallow.
2: And Anton takes a, a bite of the Ratatouille And it transports him instantly back to his childhood. Mom welcomes him in, sits him down, serves him a plate of ratatouille, and he smiles and, you know, his heart is full and everything's fine again. And that's this great emotional sort of uh, your life flashing before your eyes when you eat food. It kind of poked fun at what critics are. You know, we're all we're we're supposed to be so uh, cranky and bitter. But then one little thing can come by and kind of stab you in the heart and remind you that once you were a child, too. Definitely one of my favorite food scenes in any movie.
3: Kristen,
1: I'm going to say a movie that I talk about a lot. And Ray, for you, may be tired of it because I talk about this movie (laughs) so frequently, Last Holiday, starring Queen Latifah. (laughs) I love this movie. It is the cure for anything that ails you. And if you're not familiar with the movie, uh, Queen Latifah is kind of a cooking demonstrator. She demonstrates pots and pans in this giant department store in New Orleans. She receives a terrible diagnosis that she only has a week or two left to live. So she cashes in everything and she goes to Europe to spend time at this very, very famous five-star hotel where there's a celebrity chef she's always idolized. Chef Didier. She's going to eat all of his food, and she does it unapologetically. We have risotto barolo with truffles,
0: roast quail with brioche stuffing, and the braised lamb shang
1: with blood orange relish. Ooh, blood orange relish. Well, I guess I better try more tonight then. And it's a truly delicious scene where those who are judging her eventually give in and want to eat side by side with her.
3: I'm embarrassed to say I haven't seen Ratatouille. Oh, wow. Um, And I also, I mean, I haven't seen Last Holiday either, but now you've made me want to see both of those movies.
1: Oh, they're both fantastic.
3: Janie and I recently rewatched a movie. You may have heard of it, The Godfather. It's a good one. Check it out, people. Never
1: heard of it. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I say I'd seen it before, but not in a while. The most amazing thing about seeing it was realizing that every single scene in that movie is famous. Right. Yes. The scene where Michael Corleone goes into the um, Italian restaurant to shoot the two guys. Uh, one of them is the, is the guy from the other mob family and the other one is the police captain who's kind of a dummy. Yeah. Who's supposed to be there for security. And and the two mob guys are having this intense kind of negotiation face-off, and periodically they cut to the police captain, and, and he says almost nothing in the scene. But one of the ways that they illustrate that he's kind of aloof and unaware of, of the threat that Michael Corleone poses to them in this moment is that he's eating. Uh-huh. He's constant. He's shoveling food in his face, and every time he goes to talk, he's got like spaghetti pouring out of his mouth. <laughs> he he looks like a mess, and he and and it, it's clear that he's not on guard. <laughs> So you're like, man, this guy's not ready for when Michael comes back with the gun, and uh, and sure enough, he wasn't ready. That was a use of food that I really liked because I felt like it didn't play into the typical stereotypes. Of it brought us all together and gave us happy memories. It was just like, but it it, it communicates something very important about that scene. Mm. And
2: the very famous other uh, quote: "Leave the gun, take the cannoli." Of course, great, right. great, great <laughs> food, great food. <laughs>
3: quote, my god, classic, absolutely. What do you each think about characters eating? During scenes, when is it good? When is it not good?
1: One of my pet peeves is the beautiful woman. She essentially is a supermodel. She's either Cameron Diaz or Sandra Bullock, and she's so beautiful. But guess what? She's clumsy and she eats too much. She's just like one of the guys. She loves sports and she loves eating, but she still weighs only 110 pounds. (laughs) Check her out. Oh, that is one of my biggest movie, food, pet peeves. It's like some sort of male fantasy. I want a girl who looks like this, but she has to also be able to eat 10,000 calories a day while we watch football.
3: Right. That's a good answer. Rafer?
2: Characters eating in movies was ruined for me a long time ago when I interviewed this child actor, a kid named Brian Daddario. And he was talking about being in this movie with Chris Pine and Elizabeth Banks. I think it was called People Like Us. And it was one of his first films. And there was an eating scene. They were all sitting around. They were eating. They were eating something like shrimp or lobster or something. They had to do, obviously, several takes. They spent the whole day doing takes. And at a certain point in the day, the kid began to feel really sick because he'd eaten like a few pounds of lobster. And Chris Pine and Elizabeth Banks apparently said to him, you're supposed to spit it out. You spit it out into a napkin and then you put it in a bucket next to you, which is what we're doing. And so the poor kid had to stop. And because he couldn't, he literally just couldn't stuff any more lobster in his face. Oh my and now God. when I see actors eating on screen, you never see them swallow. And I just think of them spitting it out into a napkin and putting it in a bucket next to them somewhere. And now I can't watch anyone eat anything in a film almost at all. It's just it's <laughs> like, it's been totally ruined for me. I can't, the, the right. spell has been broken for me. Maybe I've broken it for everybody else. I'm sorry, but I've, uh, I had to share that.
3: One time I was shooting a segment for this food TV show and it was like, I was supposed to be eating these chicken nuggets, but the food stylist people i guess there was a rush and they didn't have time to cook them through oh. so they, so they bring them to the set and they're like <laughs> they're like don't swallow these <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 so they put a bucket next to me and i had and like i had to eat i had to, to bite into 10 different takes worth of chicken Nuggets, you know, roll my eyes back in my head. Oh my god, it's so good! And then immediately spit it out so I wouldn't get food Well oh, That's <laughs> breaking some kind of that's some kind of union law has been broken. There, I guarantee it. <laughs> All right, Rayfer and Christian, we're going to take a quick break, When we come back. We're going to open up the phone lines and hear about some problems some folks are having, and you're going to prescribe food related movies for them. Sound good? Sounds good. Sounds great. That's coming up. Stick around. Okay, back to the show, and I'm joined once again by Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday and co-host of the podcast Movie Therapy. Hey, Rafer. Hey, Dan. And we're joined by Rafer's co-host on Movie Therapy and the co-host of the excellent podcast By the Book, Kristen Meinser. Hello again, Kristen. Hello. All right, we're going to go to the phone lines. Now, as you do on Movie Therapy, we're going to have people call in with their life issues, and you will prescribe movies that will help solve their problems. All right, let's do it. Hi, who's this?
4: Hi, this is Katrina Kirk, and I'm calling from Denmark.
3: You're welcome. Say hi to Rafer and Kristen.
4: Hi, Rafer, and hi, Kristen. Hi, Katrina. My favorite podcast host. <laughs> hi, oh, Katrina. My gosh. Thank you.
3: Welcome, Katrina. Now, uh, tell us what's going on.
4: So, I was in this great career job in healthcare, healthcare improvement here in Denmark in a large hospital, and I thought I'd landed my dream job, but it quickly turned out that I got into a situation where my Boss really, really, really did not appreciate me. So I had to leave. But I've always loved cooking. And so I began to think about: would it be possible for me to combine my love of cooking with a career shift? So my conundrum is: do I pursue the dream job, which is well paid, very secure, potentially also very stressful in healthcare? knowing that it'll take a while to land the job, or should I think about just maybe scaling a little bit back on my living standards? And then getting into something like cooking in the wild, arranging um, gourmet uh, fly-fishing retreats, for instance, and making sure that people had something really good to eat. Another thing going against this, and this is something my husband says, he says that I am so ambitious in general, My ambitions always rise to a level where I almost cannot deliver. So I have a wild talent for making even cooking stressful. (laughs) So maybe the stress thing is not part of the equation after all.
3: A gourmet fly fishing retreat in Denmark with really good food sounds just amazing. I'm just going to say that. I'm not, I mean, I don't know how to fly fish, but I would be happy <laughs> to sit comfortably near water while eating delicious food that other people caught. <laughs> Me too.
1: Yeah. And I want to wear those, um, what are they? Chest high overalls made out of rubber. The hip waders. Yes. Yeah. I would love to wear those. And I I think those flies are so pretty too. Have you seen those flies they use for fly fishing? Oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're just gorgeous. Yeah. All of that sounds really fun. Do you have any fear whatsoever that you would lose your love of cooking if you turned it into your job instead of your hobby.
4: Wow, what a great question! Yeah, I think there's a there's a certain risk to that. I love that. I love that I can just be flirtatious in the kitchen. You know <laughs> that it's it's not an obligation.
3: Yeah, I, I can tell you, Katrina and Kristen, that before I started the Sporkful, I had that exact fear. For me, for food, like if food becomes my career, will I not love it as much? And I can tell you that from my personal experience, the opposite has happened. The more I've learned about food and the more different types of food that I have been exposed to through my work, like the more I love it, the more I'm eager to try and to learn more. That being said, I, I'm not a chef. I'm not the one cooking the food all day long. So, you know, it's it, it's different. Most chefs I talk to want nothing more than to have somebody else cook them dinner. <laughs> all right. So we, we've heard Katrina's situation. Rafer and Kristen, what do you prescribe?
1: I think you should give yourself a short period. Maybe it's one year. Maybe it's 18 months where you pursue this dream. This is what I did when I became a full-time freelance podcaster because Uh, The last company that I was working full-time for, when they folded, I was on the fence about what should I do next? Should I work for another company? And my husband and I sat down, we looked at our finances, and he said, let's set a goal if in the next year you make this much money, and if at the end of the year you enjoy it, you can keep doing it for as long as you want. If you don't reach that financial goal and you're not happy by the end of the year, then Don't do it anymore, but just set a deadline for how long you can do it, since financially it sounds like you can make it work, and you don't have to be trapped in any one thing forever. So uh, that's my advice for you. But as far as my prescription, I'm going to prescribe a movie that perhaps you've already seen because you are a food person, and that is Julie and Julia. Do you know Julie and Julia, Katrina?
4: Oh, yes. That is a lovely movie.
1: It is. Yes. And here's why I'm prescribing it to you. For anyone who doesn't already know, Julie and Julia is a movie that goes back and forth between two storylines. We have a young woman named Julie who lives in New York City who has a dead end job in an office. She can't stand her job at all. And the only way that she is able to keep her soul alive is by coming home every day and cooking a recipe from Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child. And she sets out to cook a different recipe every day for an entire year from the book until the book is completed.
4: Yesterday was Tuesday, August thirteenth, two 2002. Day one. 364 days to go. I cooked artichokes with hollandaise sauce, which is melted butter that's been whipped into a frenzy with egg yolks until it's died and gone to heaven.
1: Meanwhile, we also go back in time in the movie and see Julia Child's rise to becoming the greatest celebrity chef of all time. What should I do, do you think? About what? I don't really want to go back into government work. Mm-hmm. You know, but shouldn't I find something to
2: do? What is it that you really like to do?
1: Eat. <laughs> Julia Child Had never even picked up a knife or walked into a kitchen until she was nearly 40. She was a spy. She had a lot of other careers before she was a chef. And we get to see her journey in starting a new life in France. And Uh, trying her best and sometimes failing, making great things, making not so great things, and also writing a cookbook. And so we get to see two women at a crossroads starting a new life and uh, see their motivations, see whether or not the risk makes their lives better or makes their lives worse. And I hope, Katrina, when you watch Julie and Julia next, I, I do hope you give it another chance, that maybe you'll see yourself in one of these two characters and maybe you'll see I'm a lot like Julie, and you know what? I am going to do this thing. Or I'm more like Julia Child, and that's why I want to do this thing. So that's why I'm prescribing it. It gives you more than one option of what your life could look like and what two totally different kinds of women do when they're at a crossroads.
4: That's definitely going to be a rewatch. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, good. Good.
1: All
2: right. Rafer? Well, I'm going to go a little further back in time, uh, back to 1996. It's a movie called Big Night with Stanley Tucci. He's one of two brothers who own an Italian restaurant on the Jersey Shore in 1950-something. It's a restaurant called Paradise. The two brothers are at a crossroads because the restaurant is not making enough money, and they may have to shut it down.
3: Your payments over the past two years have hardly been consistent. Yes, I know. Uh, We don't receive your payment by the end of the month. We will foreclose.
2: Their goal is basically uh, to see if they could get Louis Prima, a name you may or may not be familiar with, but Louis Mm -hmm. Prima, the great singer. um, What if they could get Louis Prima to show up and play a show at the restaurant? Maybe that would save them and bring in all this money. And so they pin all their hopes on this one big night. It's a good movie at showing the ups and downs of doing something that you love. They love this restaurant, but there are also some hard facts, uh, some hard realities about running this thing and making this thing and devoting their life to it.
3: All right, Katrina. Well, there, those are your recommendations. Best of luck with your decision and uh, and with enjoying those two movies. Thanks. All right, Rafer and Christian, you ready to take another call? We're ready. So ready. Hi, who's this?
0: Hi, this is Rachel. I'm in Cape Cod, Massachusetts.
3: All right, Rachel, say hi to Rafer and Kristen.
1: Hi, Rafer and Kristen. Hi, Hi, Rachel. Rachel. We're so excited to talk with you.
3: So, Rachel, tell us what's going on. How can we help you?
0: Well, so my family started a family movie night um, in the winter, just as a thing to do during COVID. And every Friday, we get takeout and we watch a movie. And our kids are teenagers, so this was kind of a way for us to show our kids like some movies that we really like that we quote all the time that they've just never seen. And the one that all of three of them loved more than any other movie was Chef, the movie by Jon Favreau. And we're looking for something like that. But my daughter specifically wants something with a female lead.
2: So what uh, what are some of the other movies that you guys have watched that have that have not flown so well? (laughs)
0: Well, I'm I'm really sorry to say that the first movie we watched in January was... One that I heard about from your podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. I loved it. Hunt for
1: the Wilder People, which what? I thought was fantastic. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh no.
3: man.
1: My heart is breaking. Mine too. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: I don't understand uh, it. Interesting. <laughs> um, I had never seen it. Uh, I think the boys loved it, but my daughter, she gave it a seven, which for her is a very low. Maybe
1: there wasn't enough food in it for yeah, them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe the real answer here is the kids need movies with food,
3: right? <laughs> right. <laughs> (laughs) Possibly. (laughs) Um, So, Rachel, can I just
0: ask, uh, how old are your kids? uh, So they're 13 and 16 right now.
3: And so you're looking for movies that are food related that you can all enjoy.
0: Yeah. And I specifically really want a movie where the people actually eat because I, mm. I hate it when there's food in a movie and the people don't eat it. Right. <laughs> That's like a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> we were just talking about
1: that. I, I was kind of joking when I said the kids clearly need more food in the movies. But uh, <laughs> is that why they liked Chef? Because of all the food scenes and all of the eating of the food?
0: So there are a few reasons they liked Chef. I think one of them was it was probably the sweariest movie. Ah, yes. Watched. Um, which <laughs> they liked. We have a rule in our house. You're, you're allowed to swear if it's funny. You're not allowed to swear out of anger, oh. right?
1: Oh, I like That's that rule. So thank yeah. you.
0: I came with it myself. <laughs> so um, I think they just loved the music as well. And I mean, it is such a great story, right, about the family relationship.
1: Yeah. And for those who don't know, there's like a father-son relationship in it. And uh, the father decides to be a food truck driver. And they get to uh, go out there on the road and sell food together, father and son. Yeah, so... Um, That's pretty much the whole plot of the movie. Yep, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: yeah. yeah
3: I, I did not see Chef. I remember when it came out and the trailers and all that. And I just remember thinking, like, I know exactly what's going to happen in this movie. There will be some obstacle, like his restaurant closed or whatever it was. I don't even remember. Some, some life obstacle. He decided to address it by uh, launching a food truck. He made a lot of very delicious food, probably over a montage. Yep. Um, where there was a lot of food porny type shots Um, and then in the end he succeeded in whatever and got the girl and everybody lived happily ever after like is that (laughs) the story basically yeah right spoiler right on all counts (laughs)
0: It's, it's still worth
2: yeah. seeing. It's a, it's a film with no villain. There is no obstacle. Yeah, but it's really sweet the, and really There's fun. no
3: dramatic tension whatsoever? No. It's no. just a father and a no. son no, go cooking and then they cook good food? No, there's no— How long is the movie? Six minutes? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know what you're saying. It does not sound good? <laughs> You've got to watch it, Dan. You really should. Buckle down. Buckle right. down and watch it. You'll probably appreciate it.
3: So, Rachel, my, my question before we get to the recommendations is—, is have you watched food television? Because there's not a whole lot of cursing, but it it has an awful lot of what Chef has. If Chef has no dramatic tension and it's just people <laughs> cooking delicious looking food, like we got that. You know, like that's in a lot of other places besides movies.
0: That is so true. I think the problem for us is like, it's hard enough for us to get together once a week to watch a movie.
3: All right, Rafer and Kristen, do you have
2: recommendations? I'm going to give one. A movie that I'm hoping has not, crossed your family's paths already. It's from 2007. It's called Waitress. Do you know it?
0: I know of it. Never seen it.
2: Is it related to the musical? It is. Or yes, it's it's totally- yes. yes, it is.
3: So the, the musical is based on the movie? Exactly. Right.
2: Okay. Um, and I'm, ju- I'm just waiting every day for them to make a movie based on the musical, of the movie. Uh, but that has not <laughs> happened yet. Um, but it's a great little movie by a filmmaker named Adrian Shelley. And it's got uh, Carrie Russell from Felicity. Uh, she plays uh, Jenna Hunterson. She's a waitress um, at a uh, Joe's Pie Diner, and it's somewhere in the south. And she's kind of trapped in her life. Um, she's got this abusive husband. She's pregnant. Some complications arise, not medical complications, but the but a romantic complication where she starts to fall in love with her obstetrician, played by Nathan <laughs> Fillion. And uh, this Jenna character has one sort of great, bright spot in her life, one great hope, which is that she's great at baking pies. And the the shtick of the movie is that she bakes these pies for different occasions and different moods, and she gives them names like Bad Baby Pie or Car Radio Pie or Falling in Love Chocolate Mousse Pie or whatever whatever fits the occasion. And there's a contest, and there's a $25,000 prize, and Jenna thinks that maybe if she can win it, she can start over and start a new life. I think the one thing I liked about the movie was the idea of the pies that had these negative connotations. That's what always fascinated me. I, I always kept thinking, like, there's a pie called "I Don't Want to Have Earl's Baby Pie," and I remember thinking, like, what does what that what does it taste like? And is it is it is it horrible or is it delicious? But because you feel so horrible, like it makes you even more miserable. Like, what is that? What's that experience like to eat a negatively named pie? I just kind of thought that was cute.
4: I don't want no trouble. I just want to make pies. Hon, you okay? Shh. I'm inventing a new pie in my head. Tomorrow's blue plate special. I'm calling it, I don't want Earl's baby pie. I don't think we can write
2: that on the menu board, hon. Huh? It's a good movie and it's really sweet and it's about a woman taking control of her life. So that's my recommendation. Waitress.
0: That sounds Great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to yeah,
2: see Yeah, let me know. I hope you guys don't hate it like you did with Hunt for the Wilder
0: People. We'll see. <laughs> it, was, it was only the 13-year-old hate Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> All right. Kristen, what do you got?
1: I'm going to prescribe a movie that uh, I have mentioned on movie therapy before. Full disclosure, it's called Always Be My Maybe. Do you know Always Be My Maybe? I have seen it, but they have not. Oh. Well, I'm glad they haven't seen it. So for (laughs) for those not familiar with it, it stars Ali Wong and Randall Park as two childhood best friends who've always connected over food, particularly his mother's amazing Korean cooking and all of the diverse food in their hometown, San Francisco. The two have a falling out after a disastrous hookup when they're teenagers and they don't speak again for 15 years. But... They reconnect years later when she is a celebrity chef. She's back in San Francisco opening another restaurant.
2: I thought this was a high-end restaurant. Why am I the only one wearing a tux?
1: Oh, sorry. I should
4: have told you rich people are done with fancy clothes. Now it's all $1,000 T-shirts that look like they were stolen off the homeless.
1: Over the course of um, a lot of food... And uh, some romantic competition, including the great Keanu Reeves, who shows up in one of the funniest (laughs) roles he's ever been in. We see uh, possibly that there's still a chance that these two could end up together.
0: Nice. that. You know, it never occurred to me to show that movie to my kids. <laughs> oh, well, is it, it is I it could. too naughty? I, I, I think I could. I can't remember. I saw it a few years ago when they were like much too young for me to show it to them.
1: Yes. I think
0: I, I saw it when it first came out. So,
1: yeah, there is a little bit of barnyard language. But since your kids like naughty language, I think they'll like it. Um, and
3: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. So I think they'll like it. It's mostly wholesome. There's lots of great food scenes in it. And they actually eat the food. They actually talk. Right. With right. the people who cook the food. And without spoiling things, I will say that the ultimate tear-jerking moment in the movie comes through food.
0: Okay. I don't even remember that, so I'm very excited to see it again. Oh, good. But it's good. a classic. I'm glad to hear it.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, Rachel, uh, good luck. Enjoy those movies. Uh, hope you and the entire family like them.
0: Thank you so much for your recommendations. Thank Take you cake. so much, it's Rachel.
3: Rachel.
1: Bye. bye Bye-bye.
2: That's the IGN Daily Update,
3: wherever you get your podcasts. Before we end the show, we actually got an update from Katrina in Denmark. Remember, she was torn between pursuing her healthcare career and getting into food. After she first contacted us, her situation changed in a big way.
4: Things took a weird turn because I suddenly saw a job uh, announcement that looked kind of interesting. I phoned to ask about it and it sounded very interesting on the phone. So I'm, I'm about to end this conversation. And then the woman I'm talking to, the, uh, the boss in this department in the hospital says, I think you should know that I actually know you. And then she said, I used to be a nurse. And when you had your bone marrow transplant, this is like over 20 years ago, I took care of you. And then suddenly I knew exactly who she was. So I said, oh, my goodness, are you that, Caroline? And then she said, yes, and I've never forgotten you. I've followed you on social media just to check that you were okay. And then she said, and I am so grateful to you because you helped me to not make a fatal career choice. She was a nurse at the time, and she wanted to, um, to go into uh, law school. But I, didn't, I, I just couldn't see her doing law. Like she was much too vivacious for law. And so I talked her out of that. And then she, she made a different choice. And as we speak, she is now my new boss. And she likes me a whole lot more than my old boss. And I'm doing exactly what I love to do.
3: All right. Rafer Guzman, film critic at Newsday, Kristen Meinzer, co-host of By the Book podcast and many, many other excellent podcasts and author of books. And together you are the co-host of Movie Therapy, where you offer advice and movie recommendations just as you have here so well. If folks like this episode, you got to check out Movie Therapy. Thanks so much, you guys. It was great to hang out. Thanks, Dad. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma
0: Morgenstern
3: and producer Andres O'Hara. Our editor is
0: Tracy Samuelson.
3: The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Harris Coralou in Miami, Florida, reminding you to eat more, eat better and eat more better.